Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. I'm very excited to welcome to the podcast this week, Tara Kochis, who has been a recruiter since she left college and joined Sloan Partners in 2004, where she's now president. She's also president of Wolf Hill Group and DEI Strategies, which is its diversity, equity and inclusion arm. Sloan Partners and its companies, they've been virtual for 22 years, allowing them to grow to 96 people strong across the country. And they specialize in life sciences, healthcare and cybersecurity companies who are growing rapidly. So with that, welcome to the podcast. Tara, how are you? Terrific, Marcus. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here today and been looking forward to it. Great. And did I get all of that right in the um, introduction? You did. You did. I did. It, it's a lot to, lot to take in and you did it beautifully. Well, thank you. And you have a lot of responsibilities. You seem to be president of quite a few companies. How do you possibly <laughs> manage your time? So the, the great part is we have uh, 96 Strong, as you mentioned, and an amazing team. Um, so, you know, I get to really spend my time with the business development activities, the uh, team leaders of the organization, and hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder at times with searches. So, you know, while we're 96 Strong, our brand is everything to us. And so, Digging in and being visible to our clients during searches is really important to us. Um, so we're not hands-off in that process. Um, having said all of that, my primary role um, in Sloan Partners is business development and bringing on the clients. Our recruiting team recruits, and so they're really the execution arm of what we do, and they're amazing. Um, same for Wolf Hill Group and DEI. Um, we are... Uh, we offer those services to our clients, prospects, and internally as well, uh, supporting our own team on their journey to becoming um, the, the great people that they are. And so um, thinking about diversity, equity, and inclusion in search and supporting our clients on, on what they're trying to achieve there as well. So uh, Candice Norte is the executive director of DEI, and she's amazing. And, you know, I, I offer my help where I can. Um, but honestly, she and Joy uh, keep that ship running and uh, they don't need my help. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, let's get into this, Tara. Um, I know you're not the founder of the company, but you've been there since 2004. So you must sort of be behind the mission of the organization and, you know, what, what you actually set out to do. Um, but what's the, what was the goal of the organization in a market, you know, which is full of recruiters and recruiting companies and specialist recruiting companies? What was your mission when you set out? Yes. So we have a very specific mission, and that is to be a premier provider of services in our space. And so we're very intentional and we refer back to that all the time. And so for us, that means providing an exceptional experience to our client partners, the candidates we place, and most of all, one another. Okay. Yeah. And broadly speaking, that's, that's a great mission to sort of to advertise. And we'll get into some of the details on how you actually do that and your methodologies, you know, in this conversation. 
Um, but you're really looking to differentiate yourself through the level of service that you provide both your candidates and your clients, right? Absolutely. High touch, white glove service, really making a mark and providing something that's a little bit of cut above, maybe, you know, continuously or consistently going beyond what's expected. Okay. Um, and a couple of the other tent poles that I think are very important to build a successful company beyond the mission, obviously, is the culture of the organization that you want to build. In other words, you know, the inside culture and why people would want to work there and thrive, you know, under that sort of that, that cultural banner. Can you tell me a little bit about how you've done that and what's important to you and, and why, in fact, people do enjoy working for Sloan Partners and its companies? Yeah, yeah, no, thanks for asking about that. We're, we are intentional about our, our culture. And, um, and I think the, the cornerstone of that are our core values. And those are quality, ownership, passion, respect, trust, and diversity. They are the cornerstone of everything we do. They're our hiring framework. They're our firing framework. And um, we bring them to life through empowering our people. We have what we call culture clubs here, and we empower cross-functional teams. Because we're virtual, we want people to have the opportunity to connect with one another, um, especially those they wouldn't otherwise connect with in their daily work life. And so cross-functional teams that lead not just core values, but other pillars here at the company like intentional learning or rewards and recognition, gratitude, um, things that we care about, a welcoming committee and reten retention group. Um, and so these groups are empowered to uphold that pillar within the organization. They have full um, carte blanche, do what they need. They have a budget. They are not driven by leadership. Leadership is not involved in the culture clubs. We report on what they're doing every month. Um, a lot of them are involved in also creating wellness challenges every quarter. Um, our One of our culture clubs did Mindfulness May, and we walk through mindfulness uh, education and training over lunch, um, different things along those lines so that we can all feel connected, appreciated, valued, heard, right? And validated in what we're doing every day. It's tough to be virtual and feeling connected to one another and appreciated is something we think a lot about and talk a lot about. Um, that's amazing that you have these culture clubs and that allows, I imagine, people from different disciplines across the company to sort of interact and get to know each other because otherwise you know, in a niche business like you are, you're very siloed. And why would you ever talk to somebody, you know, from life sciences if you're working on the cybersecurity side, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's all, you know, it's all based on our core values. And we, we also, um, early in our life, we went through and exercised to really dig deep about our purpose. And interestingly enough, our purpose, our why, um, is to make a difference, to make a difference to one another, to our client partners and our candidates by providing that amazing experience. And so I was on a, a launch call with a new client this week and the lead recruiter was talking and he kind of geeked out over our mission a little bit with our client and talked to them about how he gets connected to what they're doing. And through the work that we do, gets to to feel like he somehow contributed to life sciences to to things that are are bigger and purposeful and getting connected to the work that we do is is a part of how we make a difference. I mean that that's interesting because I mean you've got to have 
a performing group of recruiters in a company your size or a company of any size. And um, I'm sure you don't want to have recruiters spending too much time not focused on the work that they're meant to be doing. How do you manage that as a leader? We do have KPIs um, in place and um, everyone reports we work out of one uh, database or CRM. We're fully transparent in the work that's getting done. So we know approximately you know, how many touch points or how many folks we need in a pipeline to fill a search. We know approximately how many uh, send outs we need to get a candidate um, interviewed, et cetera. And so we track that information weekly. We have an executive dashboard. So fully transparent. Everybody knows what everyone's doing. Nobody owns a candidate. Nobody owns a client. Everybody works together. Um, so our our value over time to our clients is to that goes um, our value is extended way beyond a search. And so the way we think about that is to understand our clients' mission, vision, culture, and be a true extension of them in the marketplace and be able to tell their story with the same passion and um, understanding that they would tell it. And so everybody then could work for, we could have two recruiters working for one client. We could have, you know, a client that we've served for multiple years. And so we, we share all of the information so that everyone knows what's happening at all times. We can manage the KPIs, we can manage production, but most of all, we can provide an amazing experience because we're not we're not worried about competing with one another. We're not worried about who's got the most of this and that, you know. So we manage expectations and experience with KPIs. So it's 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 not one; it's both of those things together. Yeah, and a lot of companies, I feel, and I've said this on the podcast before, use KPIs the wrong way round because they use them almost as a threat rather than either an incentive or a way to manage yourself. Um, when somebody doesn't meet a KPI, you know, how do you manage recruiters who are, who are off target and just can't seem to sort of meet your expectations of them? I think one of the first things we want to understand about what's happening is, is what's going on with that person. Are, are they happy? Are they feeling like they don't have what they need? Do they feel like they understand the search? Do they have other things going on that might be impacting their ability to really dig in? And so, you know, for us, it's really an investigation, seek first to understand, and then provide what we can to get that person feeling good and feeling productive and being productive, especially for themselves and the team. And and then, of course, our client. Yeah. And I mean, those could be difficult conversations to have, but it's it's great to hear that you you start off from a position of trust. And I think that's the thing that sometimes leaders in the recruiting industry, you know, fail to sort of grasp hold of is that you must trust your team first and, you know, find out what's going on and what the circumstances are before you start saying things like, you've got to meet your metrics next week or we'll, we'll be having a different conversation, right? Yes. Yes. Very early on, I was a part of this group called Vistage and they provide, like YPO, they provide peer group um, support to uh, CEOs, CEOs and key executives. And in one of my Vistage meetings, very early on, this this professional spoke about feel, think, act. 
And so a lot of times people will go to feel, act, right? I'm mad about this, or this person cut me off, or this is happening, and this client is not getting back to me about these candidates, and you know, this candidate's suddenly gone dark, right? And so, and then jumping to an action that may or may not serve them, the client or the candidate, right? And so inserting in that process, the thinking is where a lot of that plays out. So feel what you're going to feel, think about what is the best response and most appropriate action, and then take that action. How long is that process? Because I feel like I do feel, think, and act, but my thinking is often about two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it takes longer. Um, for big decisions, we we like to have something called wait a week. So for big decisions, you know, if it's a great decision today, it'll be even a better decision next week. If it's a terrible decision today, it'll be even worse decision <laughs> in a week. So for big decisions, we deploy wait a week. And um, otherwise, you know, feel, think, act can be seconds, minutes, hours, days. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's actually a lot like writing. If you're like a copywriter or if you're writing an essay or a piece on LinkedIn or whatever, um, and, and you write it and you look at it and it looks amazing. And then you hold off a day or so before you post it. And then you look at it again and you think, oh my God, this is absolutely terrible. <laughs> exactly. You just a bit of space between, you know, the time you thought about it, wrote it, and then, you know, rereading it and editing it can often completely change your mind. So it's a good idea, I think, to think about good decisions. Um, there was actually a book which would disagree with you by Malcolm Gladwell called Blink, where he talks about, you know, trusting your gut and trusting your instincts and shooting from the hip and, and how that will serve you equally well. But um, I think you could argue either side of this one, couldn't you? Yes. Yes. And I, you know, I mean, I think it just depends on the, the, um, for me, the situation, you know, I mean, cause there's something to be said for being in the moment, right. And, and trusting your gut and that intuition. It, it reminds me of a study that was done at the University of Michigan. So one interview with a candidate provides the same outcome. And I, I don't know if you've heard this before as flipping a coin. So if a company interviews a candidate just once, right and makes a decision, go, no, go, hire, no, hire, they will get the same results in terms of success as if they didn't interview that person and just flipped a coin. Oh, wow. So, And that was proven? That was proven. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to making decisions and leadership and collaboration and teams, I think the most important thing, and this is a term that I recently came across, is conversational capacity, which is the idea of not thinking that you're right all the time and really sort of asking enough questions to figure out how the other people in the room got to the conclusions that they're at, you know, what led them to believe the things that they believed and allowing yourself potentially to cross the bridge to, to, to either agreeing with them or being in a much stronger place to potentially disagree with them. So I think what you're saying, and that fits into your sort of feel, think, act is the thinking bit is the asking questions and making sure that you know, everybody comes to a similar resolution by exploring all four corners of the conversation, right? Absolutely. I had to write that down, you know, little post-it notes, reminders, uh, feel, think, act, and then seek first to understand because I am opinionated and I will jump to the <laughs> conclusion and want to direct a situation and maybe I don't have all the information. And so I, I totally agree with what you just said and to be in the moment, to converse, to, to ask the questions, to align 
on what the goal is and take a step back at times. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a great leader gives people the room to express themselves fully, but asks intelligent questions like, you know, what led you to believe this? What led you to this conclusion? You know, and you know, what's some of the data and the facts behind this? And let's see if, you know, let's see if I can, you know, get on your side on this one. And if not, we'll we'll come to some sort of compromise. But I think great leadership these days is as much about building relationships with people by showing respect and interest and trust as it is about sort of just cracking the whip and saying, no, this is the way we're going to do it. Yes. Yes. The founder and I were talking this morning, Adam Sloan, we're, he and I were talking this morning and talking about the power of relationships and that we're in that business, you know, and everything that we do is built on our relationships, our brand, our reputation for how we conduct ourselves and, you know, taking the high road, right? And, and not feeling like we always have to be right. And it doesn't mean our client is always right. But it does mean that we're fair and listen and, you know, act appropriately, respectfully. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, the, my overarching feeling about all of this is that you cannot influence people that you do not have a relationship with. I mean, internally, you have to build strong relationships and trust with everybody who works with you and for you if you want to be able to influence them and help them down the road because they need to respect you and trust you. And it's the same with clients and with candidates. And I talk about this a lot on the podcast. In fact, I'd say this is the central theme of my podcast is the concept that, you know, stop trying to influence or sell to candidates or clients until you've completely understood, I call it their situation, aspirations, motivations, and skills. And, and it's kind of just a little mnemonic that I use and I run through in my head when I'm having conversations to make sure that I've given them enough room to express fully who they are, where they are, and, you know, what potentially they want next and how, therefore, I could help them, um, you know, make that transformation. So if that makes sense, right? It does. It does. And I, I listened to your podcast on that and started to share some of the Sam's um, thinking with our team and, you know, giving them, giving everyone the opportunity to understand how to take that step back. And, um, and think about, you know, asking about aspirations. Tell me about where you want to go. You know, where do you want to take your career, right? What do you want to do next? Yeah. And I think it needs to be extremely conversational like this. I don't think you need to read a list of questions as a recruiter because it just sounds very dogmatic and it's, that's not relationship building. You've got to, great recruiters show genuine interest in solving the career challenges and problems of the people that they're talking to and solving their clients not just people problems, but taking a few steps back and solving their business problems as well and understanding, you know, as I said last week, you know, what the consequences to the business will be by, by solving those problems. And then, you know, seeking to share that and be an advocate of that information as you go out and start telling stories on behalf of that organization, rather than just going out and recruiting by skill set and by experience, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It really aligns with our approach. And, you know, when we think about how we tackle a search, big picture, right? We're, we're with our clients answering three questions. Can a person do what needs to get done in that role? Um, and for us, that means peeling back what you talked about. What does success look like? In 90 days, what will have gotten done? A year from now, what will this person have accomplished for us to look back and say, gosh, amazing hire, right? What does that look like? And really understanding that at a deep level. The second question is, will the person love it, 
right? Well, is this a, a career move for them? Is it a lateral move? If so, is it a bigger responsibility overall, right? What does this represent to the candidate to, um, to be able to tell that story of how, how it's going to impact them and specifically related to their aspirations and their, their career? And then thirdly, and most importantly, what you open the call with, culture. And understanding if the if the person um, can be additive to our client's culture and um, and not not fit in because we're not looking for robots right or people who think and act like everyone else in the room, but what do they add to the team? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And another one of my cliches is culture is the biggest mover of people, both into companies and out of companies. Ninety percent of the candidates I've ever spoken to are just not quite happy with the way things are right now. And that's usually because maybe they've, they're reporting to somebody new or you know, expectations have been changed and they're just not feeling it anymore. Um, and, and they say, you know, people leave people, not companies. And that's probably very true as well. I think most people agree with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, culture is, is where it's at. And it's something that if you don't focus on when you're talking to candidates um, and obviously clients as well. But if you don't focus on that when you talk to candidates, you, you're really not getting to the central themes of, of how you could potentially help that person. And then ultimately, what I think is most important about communicating with candidates is understanding what kind of transformation they're going to be able to go through by joining this company. What's in it for them is so much more important, I think, to me and I think to a lot of recruiters these days than the skills and experience that the client's looking for. And I think you have to, once you've understood what your candidate's looking for and you've gone through that SAMS process, um, and if you're able then to reconcile a, you know, a truly transformational opportunity and, and show them what's in it for them and where they might be able to go and you know, everything from compensation to career opportunity to new skills, et cetera, um, before you start drilling into like, have you got this? How many years of that? How would you rate yourself on this? I think that's, again, a part of the relationship building process and makes you a much better recruiter and also makes you a much stickier recruiter because if you're talking to the candidate about what's in it for them, they're much more interested than if you're just sitting there saying, this is what we need. This is what my client needs. This is how many years of that, you know, et cetera, right? Okay. I'm ranting a little bit, but you get where I'm coming from, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have, we, we spend um, three interviews with our candidates, a quick touch base interview, you know, are they generally qualified and interested? Great. Move on. Two longer interviews, one of which is over video. One of those interviews is dedicated to, of course, their background experience, their transitions, why, what, when, why did they make the move? Why did they join? What happened, et cetera, right? Learning all the things, things that our clients expect us to know. Another, the other interview is fully dedicated to motivation and compensation and really understanding what is driving them, what they're interested in, how they're compensated, all the details of both of those two big factors in terms of what's in it for them, just like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I've always been preaching that you do that first um, and you find out motivations first before you sort of like start showcasing the role or selling the role, et cetera, because I've always believed that until somebody's heard themselves say it out loud, it's very, it's very difficult to convince anybody that you have the solution unless it sort of meets and reconciles with what they've already told you. But um, I mean, some people do it differently, some people. And I think 
you know, a lot of recruiters these days can't help themselves. You know, they cannot help themselves by running this amazing role by the candidate before they really do the sort of interviewing side of things. And I, and I think that's the wrong way around. What do you think? I, I think it's situational. And so I think when, you know, for us, like some of the candidates are known to us, some of the people are known to us, you know, we, we're, we're working with our clients for years at a time, filling multiple positions, aligning on their mission, vision, values, culture, et cetera. And so, you know, when we, when we know a lot about our candidates, sometimes we can, we can jump in um, maybe feet first. And so I think if, if it's cold, if it's cold, then I think, you know, it, it's, it's really, I think there's tremendous value to just understanding a person first, especially if it's an executive level search, um, because otherwise you're just wasting everyone's time. And you're also wasting the opportunity of getting to know somebody, potentially yes. befriending them and adding them to your network. Because if you just steam in there with the role first and that person says, that's not really my cup of tea, or I'm not really qualified for that, or I'm not interested it's too late to sort of like reverse out of that and say, well, tell me all about yourself. It's too late. So I think it's a much better strategy. Um, and, and this maybe doesn't apply to volume recruiting, but it's a much, much better strategy to say, look, before I go into any detail about this role, you know, let, let's get to know each other a little bit so that I'm, I can then accurately, if possible, reconcile what I've got up my sleeve, you know, with what you're looking for and your, your current situation, et cetera. So just tell me a little bit about, you know, where you're at today and then start the conversation off that way rather than saying, oh, I've got to tell you about this company and it's amazing compensation and they're incredible culture and leader. Because at the end of the day, you may sacrifice the chance of showcasing what a great relationship developer you are if you leave it till after they've said, no, I'm not interested, right? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. 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 And we, we do executive level search and going deep into the clients we serve, you know, we, we also place individual contributors. And so, you know, I, I think that um, understanding who you're talking to and what's important to them is is key to that conversation. Indeed. So, um, I mean, as a leader, you know, we've had a couple of years of COVID and everything and things, you've always been virtual, but have you had to adapt to the way that you lead and the way that you manage and the way that you set expectations, you know, over the last couple of years or, you know, what kind of a, a transformation have you been through um, especially under the market conditions that we've been having, because one minute it's a candidate driven market. Now that's cooled off a tiny bit and it could potentially be, you know, a buyer's market eventually. How have you adapted as a leader to help your team and your, and your contributors stay on point and, and deliver up on their promise? When um, Adam and I, years ago, we attended the Disney business school and Disney talks about people, place, and environment a lot. And people being first and foremost, to your point. And in, in that training, we really got to understand how people think about their environment. And one of the things that changed for us as an organization with COVID, even though we've been virtual all 22 years, is everyone's work environment. Because suddenly you're sharing bandwidth with your kids and or your partner or spouse. Um, you are now sharing workspace and you used to have this nice office and now you're sharing it with someone else who might be on the phone just as much as you're on the phone. And, you know, so are you relegated to the kitchen table or what's your environment like? And so 
we did have to adapt and think about what is happening for our folks and how their workday and you know situation has changed. And so we we talked a lot about that, and that was very individual, you know, in terms of really supporting people with uh, work environments or products that would help them, the technology that would improve their work life, you know, and and so we we did have to make some shifts um, at the leadership level to really think about those things. The other thing that happened is it it leveled the playing field a little bit, Marcus, and so we've been wildly successful at retaining an amazing team. And during COVID, we could not take that for granted because now work from home opportunities were a lot more available to people than, you know, companies like us who had been doing it for years. And so we had we had to really think about what was important to our team. And again, we did surveys, we talked to people individually. It's not a one size fits all. Um, and, um, and really thinking about what's important to each person so that we're making sure we're delivering on that the best we can. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, and it's not for everyone. I mean, let's be honest, working from home isn't for everyone for some of the reasons that you just mentioned. Some people don't want to work with their kids running around or, you know, someone else in the family who needs to sort of, you know, be in the same room as them. And, and I think, um, it's been a, a tough transition for a lot of people to move into this remote world successfully. Um, do you believe that there are people who thrive on it and people who just can't hack it? Or have you managed to help everybody cross the bridge and be remote and be happy and be productive? I can speak for me and then I'll speak for the team. So I was in the field. So when I joined Adam in 2004, my role was in the field. I was out and about in front of people making meetings happen, right? Doing things in person. And I loved it. And I was great at it. And then being relegated to a computer screen and a phone. And back then there were no videos, um, was really lonely. And it was like taking this wild horse and trying to just tame it. And it, it was isolating. It was boring at times. I, I really had to think about where my energy comes from and how to tap into my energy. So we talk about that here and ask people in the interview process where they get their energy, what drives them, how do they sustain their energy? And so we, you know, we, we really support walking and talking, like take, take, take me out for a walk and let's talk. Um, you know, and things that keep people energized throughout the day because it can be lonely. And, you know, we, we've, we've had some folks over the years um, who find it isolating and miss being in an office and thought they would love it, um, but, you know, they felt confined. And so ultimately they, they may not have stayed as long as they thought. Um, or people who um, get distracted by their cell phone binging. This goes back a long time ago, but um, had an employee and I said, you know, that wasn't doing well. And like I said, this is a long time ago now. Um, and I said, you know, what's what's happening? What do you what do you think is getting in the way? And he said, I'm pr- I think it's my phone. I mean, I, I just can't seem to put it down and it goes off all the time and I need to check social media and I I I find it very distracting. And I said, well, 
how how much time do you think it's it's taking you away from your work day? Oh, probably like three hours a day. <laughs> so, That's very honest. <laughs> yes, it was very honest. And I said, this might not be the best format for you. You know, like let's talk about whether or not this is the best place for you because you know that it's not going to change. And so maybe you know, finding a place where you can be fulfilled and distracted by your work versus feeling like you have to get to work. Yeah. Huge difference. Absolutely. And I've always thought of going to the office as like putting on a different uniform because it makes you feel different. And I think through no fault of your own, you just might be one of these people who needs to be surrounded by colleagues because it is a team sport. Um, even though we work individually a lot of times, there's a lot of camaraderie involved in the recruiting process. And and a lot of people need strong leadership on a daily basis. They need to be you know, held accountable. And I think accountability is much harder to drive through the recruiting process and the work day when people are working at home than it is, you know, when you're sitting around with them and, you know, everybody's on the phone and everybody's busy. And, and I don't think it's for everybody. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people have struggled with their sort of their motivation. And as you said, the distraction, because there are so many distractions, you're, you're at home, you can do anything you want to do. You can go and have a cup of tea. You can go and watch TV. You can jump on the internet. And when you're in the office, you've got that suit of armor on where I am in work mode. I feel more productive because I'm focused, solely focused on the task at hand because that's where I'm at and nothing else needs to go on whilst I'm there. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And I, I am one of those people. I, I learned to tap into you know, what was going to work for me. And what works for me is I, I dress for work every day, even when we weren't on camera. I would, you know, do my morning yoga, shower, dress, and like transition, walk down the hall, go to my office and have a separate space. And so I make this this sort of equation or connection to, right, to going to an office. Um, I get into my office. I have a ritual of how I work. I schedule um, things that matter to me if I need a, a midday break or a walk and talk. Um, I schedule those things and then I leave the office. Now it doesn't mean I'm tapped out. Everyone's on their phones. Everyone's available. We're available 24 seven, but I do like to transition into my office and out of my office every day so that I, I have the, the sort of boundaries that, you know, work for me. Yeah. It's like a mental transition, isn't it? When you it is. put the clothes on, even if you're just dressing on the top half of zoom, but, um, it's still a mental transition in, putting on the gear and then going down the hall and closing the door um, and getting everything sorted out and calendared. Um, That's true. I may or may not be wearing pants. Yeah. Well, nobody knows anymore about whether anybody's wearing pants. So it's the the great thing about working at home. Um, And the other thing, which is, you know, I think important um, is exercise. I, I think, you know, it's easy to get stuck in your office early in the morning and then go the whole day. And I think, People need to get out and get some fresh air. Um, right before this podcast, I'm not showing off because I've been doing this for 20 years. I get fired up by indoor cycling, spinning. I'm actually a spinning instructor. I've been a spinning instructor for 10 years. Before this podcast, I jumped on the peloton for 45 minutes and you know sweated it out. And it, and it motivates me and it makes me remember that you know the good stuff comes from being outside of your comfort zone. You know, like 
you know, so physically, if you exert yourself, it, it allows you to sort of maybe mentally exert yourself a little bit more as well, but just drives for me a lot of like enthusiasm and, and I don't know, dopamine or whatever it is in, into my body and just makes me a bit more excited about the day. Yes. Yes. And that's why I start my day with yoga for that. Me, that works. Brilliant. And you know, it, it, and I take walks, um, also in the morning or throughout the day to keep myself energized and, um, and alert, you know, and, and be able to focus in on the moment. Otherwise it's easy to get mentally distracted when, you know, you don't feel as sharp or connected to whatever it is you need to do in that moment. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Why don't we finish off on what you think of the market right now and how you feel like you may need to adapt if things go a little bit further south than they are right now. And I think, you know, people love and journalists and media outlets love to try and get everybody scared all the time. That seems to be their full-time job. You know, we're heading into recession and everything. I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, I think the jury is still obviously out on that. But if we were to take, you know, a, a more consistent dip for a year or two, how do you prepare your team and, and what are you going to do differently in order to be able to adapt and, you know, bring the business in and secure the business with different market conditions, different candidate conditions, et cetera. What are you going to do? Yes. There are three things that we think about doing. Um, one is we double down on marketing and as much as possible, much as possible in-person visits. And so in a down market, we've learned that connecting with our audience, that connecting through those relationships, being valuable outside of a search it increases our opportunity to get another search or the first search. And our team on the BD side will need to create more opportunities than we did last year to acquire the same number of searches. So we, we have to increase our volume and our outreach and our connections that we're making in a day, week, month to have similar number of opportunities. So we think about those things. The other thing is on the candidate side, we've seen candidates while there are layoffs and different things happening, um, employed candidates are being selective and they may not be as open to making a move or taking a risk. And so, you know, really understanding where somebody is on that and backing up the candidate pool is, is the other thing that we, we talk about doing. In our industry, we serve life sciences, healthcare, and cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is, is on the map. And, and so is life sciences. I mean, two years ago, people weren't talking about RNA vaccines at the dinner table, and now they are. So there, there is still investment happening in the communities that we serve. Having said that, the macro environment affects everyone and everything. And so we're, we're, we do prepare. We think about where, um, where investments are going to be made and, and try to stay on the cutting edge of the next level of innovation so that we can be there when it hits. So that's that sounds amazing and I think what you're saying was sort of echoing a bit of what we were talking about earlier which is transactional recruiters are going to struggle whereas you know relationship driven or trusted advisor types of recruiters are, are going to continue to thrive because it's it's all about relationships on the client side as you said you've got to drive value into the relationship and understand problems and understand situations beyond just you know how many people do you need today and help them with whatever else you can do guiding them with um, candidate experience um, interview training whatever it is you've got to look at inventive and new ways of helping your clients understand that you're there to solve a much bigger problem than just putting a bum on the seat 
And on the candidate side, well, it's exactly the same thing. You've got to show that you care and you've got to be there for that candidate and not keep trying selling another opportunity until you fully understand what it is that that candidate is looking for and what's going to get them fired up about a potential move. Then you need to be that trusted resource who, who doesn't go to them with every single job that comes across your desk, only the ones that fit absolutely perfectly for them. So again, it's all about building deeper relationships with candidates. And then the other part of all of this is once you've built these relationships, then you've got to feed and water those relationships as well. And I think that's another problem that needs solving in the industry is don't just wait until you've got another role to share with a potential candidate. Keep in touch with them. Find ways to keep in touch with them. I mean, I do the podcast. Um, I post on LinkedIn and, you know, I'm really getting into the sort of the branding side, although I hate that kind of moniker branding. I don't really see it as branding. I, I think and see it as becoming a trusted and recognized resource in, in your space. And, and I think that's a lot more palatable to some people. But if you communicate regularly, then people are used to seeing your name out there. And then when it does come time to sort of talk shop, they're much happier to hear from you. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. We're doing a summer of support um, on the DEI side to support our clients. You know, we've just heard that companies continue to struggle with how to truly deliver on the promise of DEI or, or inclusive workplaces. And, and so we, um, we offered some written tools and then we're doing um, a webinar like Coffee with Candice, we're calling it, an informal gathering where people get to ask their most provocative and challenging questions of a professional who's dealing with this every day. And so these are ways that we're trying to really, you know, be valuable outside of a search so that, you know. Fantastic. We stay top of mind and, you know, we, we can create that, that long-term relationship. That's incredible value and very timely as well. You're not just helping your clients understand how important it is to, to be diverse and inclusive, but you're helping them implement that as well and show them methodologies to actually make it work for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. And it's, you know, it's all, it's all part and parcel of, of what we do. The other thing that, that we do is we offer executive coaching to the C-level folks that we place. And, um, and through that service, that company's on retainer with us. We started doing this as a differentiator in 2008, and it's stuck. And, um, and that company can also jump in and offer different services to our clients. And so, you know, having to be able to tap into services that people value in their company, but don't know how to get a hold of, we want to be the provider of. And so, you know, those are the, the types of things that we think about in a down market to support our clients. Because if we're thinking about those things, then we've learned too. If, if I'm thinking it, somebody else in the room is also thinking it. Yeah. Yeah. Is it quite difficult to be a recruiter on one hand and then say, oh, by the way, we offer executive coaching services as well, because they're two completely different parts of a business, right? Yes. Yes. And we, we do it to our, for our placement in the transition. So we help our candidate um, detoxify from wherever they were and get up to speed quickly in their new culture and new environment. And so it's three months of complimentary executive coaching to the C-level folks we place. And your clients are all like gung-ho about that service? They are. Fantastic. Um, any final thoughts about, you know, what the rest of the year holds for you or any words of wisdom you'd like to share before we just uh, sign off here? 
Um, really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and engage with your community and um, interested in folks' feedback. You know, we're, we are, we're heads down and we think a lot about what other people might be experiencing. And I think we can expect to see more ups and downs throughout the remainder of the year and being patient with ourselves and one another is probably going to be key to that. Excellent stuff. Thank you so much, Tara. And uh, we're going to keep in touch and I'll speak to you again very soon. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Cheers. 